Poker, All the Games, is a podcast that introduces listeners to more than 20 variations of poker. Each episode will highlight one game, as well as dive into any controversial news in the poker world. We know why you're here. Because you love poker as much as we do. Now introducing your host, Sean Griegas. Hello and welcome to our podcast, Poker All the Games. This is episode 6 of Poker All the Games. We're coming at you from the east coast of the United States, April 2022. I'm your host, Sean, online as Atomic Squeeze, Nuke, Hops, or Homebrew, depending on where you play. We have a fun and informative show for you today, where we'll be focusing on Stud 8 or better. We'll find out what I'm drinking for this episode, then we'll get to Stud 8, and finally end with something I am sick of hearing poker commentators and those in poker media say. Along the way, you'll also hear about my recent play since the last episode, which did not go well. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope you enjoy the show as much as I enjoy shooting the shit about all things poker and beer. Well, if you've listened to this podcast, uh, some previous episodes, you'll know that I say poker is a social sport. I'm a brewer and enjoy beer. In this episode, specifically, I'll be drinking a German Pilsner. While it's not quite warm out yet here in the northeast of the U.S., it's certainly getting there. The harbingers of warm weather are flying from tree to tree, announcing spring with their songs. Some of these messengers include cardinals, crows, sparrows, the rare blue jay, and the most abundant of them all, the American robin. And while I drink any style of beer without regard to the weather, now seems like a good time to join the backyard birds and announce the coming warm weather and upcoming allergy season. (coughs) with a crisp, clean Pilsner. I'm pouring this one from a bottle, but Kronbacher Pilsner also comes in 16-ounce cans. This beer sits perfectly in a Spiegelo Pilsner glass, either the classic tall Pilsner style or the newer Kraft Pils Spiegelo glass. Let's have a smell. Ah, yes, you get that nice beer smell, typical of a lager. Very slightly fruity and a touch of sulfur, typical in a well-made Pilsner. Let's have a look. The Kronbacher Pilsner is a transparent, gleaming golden yellow, filling the glass with CO2 bubbles and a pure, white, thick head of foam. Now for the best part. Let's have a taste. Oh, nice. This has a light mouthfeel coming in with a slightly grainy malt flavor, a tinge of fruity hoppiness, little taste of that sulfur, giving way to a very light bitterness that balances the malt and ends with a crisp, clean finish. Let's have another sip, just to be sure. This is one of my favorite Pilsners and comes in at 4.8% ABV. 
I'm feeling the warm sun on my back with each sip, so let's get started. Remember that our focus here is non-hold'em poker, specifically for those interested in trying their hands at mixed games and those looking to branch out from hold'em into other variations of poker. Our goal is to bring you the rules, the deal, and easy-to-remember basic strategy tips to get more players involved in the mixed poker game arena. Today's episode will be covering a stud variation, specifically stud 8 or better. Why stud 8? Well, for starters, we have already discussed stud in episode 4, which is the base for this variation. So in stud 8, we're just adding a twist, a twist that is the mainstay for high-low split pot games, which I'll be explaining shortly. Study is also available in some brick-and-mortar casinos, mostly in a two-game variation known as O-slash-E, which is a rotation of Omaha 8 and Study. As it happens, two weeks ago in episode 5, we podcasted about Omaha 8, and in today's episode, we'll discuss Study. So after listening to, t- to episodes number 5 and number 6, you'll be able to sit in an OE game if you can find one. Hint, hint. For those in the Northeast, there's one that runs regularly at Parks Casino in Ben Salem, Pennsylvania. Before we get to the specifics of study, let's quickly go over some poker vernacular that will help you understand high-low split pot games. There exists a set of games that are played as high-low and are commonly known as split pot games. That is, the pot is split between a player with the highest ranked hand and a player with the lowest ranked hand. Of course, if one player has both the high and the low hand, that player wins the entire pot. In poker parlay, they scoop the pot. More often than not, high-low variations have a qualifier. The qualifier is almost always what is known as an eight or better qualifier. That is, all five cards used to make a low must rank as an 8 or lower and be unpaired. In 8 or better qualifier games, if no player holds a qualifying low hand, the player holding the high hand wins the entire pot. The most popular versions of 8 or better games are Omaha 8 and Stud 8, which are recommended next in line after first learning the basic Omaha and Stud versions, which we have discussed in prior episodes. These games may be discussed using different names. Stud 8 may be called Stud 8 or better to remove any question that the low qualifier must be an 8 or better. The lengthy Stud 8 or better title may be seen in card rooms listed as either Stud 8, which you'll hear me use, or you may see it written as Stud 8 slash B. As you'll hear me repeat, since there are so many variations of poker, Be sure to ask before sitting in any game so you know what you're playing. Rule number one, know the game you're playing before you start playing. All right, let's get to the general play and rules of study. This is a stud game with fixed limit betting. The deal, action, and general play of this game, although not the strategy, is the same as in seven card stud, with the exception of the low hand potentially winning half the pot. In the end, each player will be dealt seven cards. 
This is a split pot game, and so the pot could be split between a high hand and a low hand. The normal ranking of poker hands is utilized for the high hand. For the low hand, there is the eight or better qualifier, meaning the low hand must consist of the lowest possible poker hand using five unpaired cards with a ranking of eight or lower. Aces count as both high and low, and a straight or flush does not count against a hand to be considered low. So keep in mind, you get seven cards in the end, and in the end you can use any of the five cards for the high and any combination of the five cards for the low. All right, specifically, how do we deal and play stud eight or better? An ante is used for any player at the table wishing to be dealt into a hand. After the ante is posted, three cards are dealt to each player, one at a time, with the first two face down and the third card face up, which is known as the door card. The player with the lowest first up card, also known as the door card, pays the bring in. If two door cards, two people, two players at the table have the same numbered door card, the way you figure out which one is lower is ranking them by suit from lowest to highest in the order of clubs, diamonds, hearts, and spades, if duplicate ranks are showing. So if two players, say two players have a number two, two players have a two face up as their door card, the two of clubs and the two of spades, the clubs would be the bring-in because C for clubs is lower than S for the for spades and just just kind of a a quick a quick thing to think about if you have the two of clubs just put put the bring in out there don't even worry about it so the two of clubs will always be the bring in so <clears throat> same rank of cards two number twos are face up the one with the lower suit in order in alphabetical order right clubs diamonds hearts and spades so notice they're in alphabetical order <clears throat> try to make it a little easy for everybody Play continues clockwise around the table with subsequent players either folding, matching the bring-in, or raising to a larger amount known as completing. Once action is taken by each player at the table still in the hand, a card is burned, and another card, known as 4th Street, is dealt face-up to each player still in the hand. Another round of betting, checking, calling, or raising, depending on prior action, takes place beginning with a player with the highest hand showing and continuing clockwise around the table. Once action is taken by each player at the table still in the hand, another card is burned and a fifth card, known as Fifth Street, is dealt face up to each player still in the hand. Another round of betting takes place, beginning with a player with the highest hand showing and continuing clockwise around the table. Once action is taken by each player at the table still in the hand, Another card is burned, and a sixth card, known as Sixth Street, is dealt face-up to each player still in the hand. Another round of betting takes place, beginning with the player with the highest hand showing and continuing clockwise around the table. Once action is taken by each player at the table still in the hand, another card is burned, and a seventh card, known as Seventh Street, is dealt face-down to each player still in the hand. 
Another round of betting takes place, beginning with a player with the highest hand showing and continuing clockwise around the table. Finally, the showdown, where one or two player, where one or two winners, sorry, one or two winners is determined with the best high hand being made from five of the seven cards. And if a player still in the hand has five unpaired cards of rank eight or lower, the pot will be split. If one player has both the high hand and the low hand, they will scoop the pot. That is, they win the entire pot. And if there is no qualifying low hand, the player with the high hand scoops the entire pot. Those are the details of deal and mechanics of play. <clears throat> so a couple of, couple of quick uh, tips to, to think about there. So remember, the first deal, you get two down and one up. So you get three cards to start with the, with the, the up card being known as the door card. At that point, play starts with the player with the lowest card, the lowest door card showing. On 4th Street, each player gets another card face up. So from 4th Street onward through 7th Street for the rest of the hand, the player with the highest poker hand starts play. So on 3rd Street, the lowest, card, lowest door card showing starts action from 4th Street for the rest of the hand, the player with the highest poker hand showing starts action. And another quick tip, if you have the highest hand showing on 6th Street, you're also going to be, and, and therefore start the action, you're also going to be the player on 7th Street to start the action because 7th Street is face down. So if you have the highest hand showing on 6th Street, you're also going to have the highest hand showing on 7th Street because the 7th Street card is face down and so no one sees it. All right. Now, some beginner's tips for study to get you started. Remember, you're looking for cards that make both a low and a high hand. In any high-low split pot game, your goal is to scoop the entire pot. An example of cards, for those that may be wondering, that would make a high and a low would be, for example, ace, two, three, four, five, all of the same suit. So you have the best low hand in this game, which is ace, deuce, three, four, five, right? You have a five, four low, and you also have an ace high flush. So if you have ace, deuce, three, four, five of spades, you have the nut low, the best low hand you can have in the game, and you also have an ace high flush. So start with three low cards working together. That is low cards that are connected and or suited. You're looking for a hand that can make both a high and a low, so the ace is a key, right? The ace can play high and low in study, so ace is key. Hands like ace-deuce-three, two-three-four, suited hands, hands that are connected, you know, three-four-five, things like that. In, in study, just like in stud, you'll likely need two pair a set or better for the high hand to win at showdown. So in stud eight, remember, starting with an ace is extremely valuable. Also, play rolled up hands aggressively. Rolled up hands are when you start with three of the same numbered card. That is, when your first two down cards and your first up card, the door card, are the same number. For example, if the first three cards you are dealt are all jacks, then you are rolled up with jacks. 
It's a great hand in stud, but it's also a very good hand in study. You're going to be going, trying to make the high hand, and there isn't always a low made in these high-low split pot games. So if there's no low made, you're on your way to scoop the entire pot. So those are some basic rules to get you started in a game of study that will get you in the game. Let's talk about my recent play since episode five, which didn't go so well, but let's let's get let's dig into the details. So I've been seeing a mixed game that runs Saturdays at Borgata in Atlantic City, and occasionally at Mohegan Sun in Connecticut, not to be confused with Mohegan Sun Pocono, located in Pennsylvania. So I decided to hop over to AC, as the locals call Atlantic City, and check out the mixed game at the Borgata. Right. While you need to practice and train against friends and teammates, you have to get in the game on the field, the mat, the turf, or the felt against actual opponents to know where you stand. Isn't that the goal of practicing and studying and training anyway, to actually play? So my goal now that I've been spending quite a bit of time studying that hold of games and explaining and talking about them on this podcast is to start getting as many live reps in as I can between now and the WSOP. So if there's a local mixed game running, then count me in. So I made the drive to the Borgata, and the poker room was bustling with activity, some 40-plus tables running, mostly Hold'em, of course. And there was the 10-25 mixed game on the board, so I put my name on that list and also on the 5-10 7-card stud list. After a lengthy three-hour wait, And who else here listening to this podcast realizes that archaic gambling rules need to be updated for a better consumer experience? Anyway, after a lengthy three-hour wait, I finally got called for the stud game and noticed that I was up next on the list for the mixed game. So I sat down in the stud game. It It was already less than a full table. Two or three of the regulars that I've seen in the past, plus one or two others I wasn't familiar with. So... Started playing, I engaged the table in some conversation, won a few hands, lost a few hands. After a while, a floor person comes over to the table to let me know there was a seat open in the mixed game. Since I was having fun and doing okay in the stud game, I figured I'd ask the floor what mix they were playing before making a decision to leave my seat. This is where things started to get disappointing. And I'm glad I asked before I left my seat. Now realize I see mixed game on on a list in a poker room and I have something in my mind. The floor person proceeds to tell me the mix is No Limit Hold'em and Pot Limit Omaha. I almost couldn't believe it. In all seriousness, I asked the floor person if that's really considered a mixed game. I mean, first of all, I'm expecting more than two games and also some other games, you know, maybe games besides the ones that are being spread at the other 37 tables in this room. In any event, I declined my seat and stayed in the stud game. After a short while longer, the already shorthanded stud game became even shorter, so I put my name on the 1-3 hold'em list and quickly got seated there. It appeared this trip was not going well from the beginning. Having waited three hours to get seated in the first place, then getting called for the mixed game that I originally was excited about, only to find out it wasn't really a mixed game, then the stud game I sat down in being shorthanded and breaking up shortly thereafter. So, anyhow, took my seat in a 1-3 hold'em game for several hours 
but absolutely nothing materialized for me. After waiting three hours for a table, not getting to sit in the game that I was hoping for, I simply wanted to play cards. It showed in how poorly I was playing. I was opening far too wide, playing far too many hands, and so my loss is not unexpected, especially when I couldn't hit any flops. I burned through almost $400 after playing for about five and a half hours and left tired, disappointed, and slightly annoyed at the entire evening. Despite knowing I played poorly and the result being less than ideal, I am getting back into the poker shape I used to be in. Sometimes, even if you don't play well against the competition, you can have learned a great deal and can make great strides in improving. I specifically called a number of my opponent's hands and was calling meaning I, I named their two hole cards. I specifically called a number of these hands and was fortunate enough to see several of them face up confirming my reads. Unfortunately, one of those reads cost me a lot as I didn't act appropriately on the hand and still called all the way down to the river and my opponent showed me the hand that I thought they, they had. Big bad mistake on my part. And in No Limit Hold'em, we realize one mistake can be quite costly. Finally, let's briefly talk about something in the poker world that I get tired of hearing. Now, I hear this quite a bit in the poker media, from poker commentators, and as well from fellow players. That is, when describing some of the great players and their past accomplishments, certain people feel like they have to qualify it with, well, the fields were smaller back then, or the fields were softer, or the players weren't as good. While this may be true, isn't it also true about any sport, or subject, or topic? I mean, while there are caveats to what I'm about to say, we generally gain knowledge as we move forward in time, which can provide us each of us with an advantage. This is true for anything, science, math, art, music, football, or anything else in life, including poker. When basketball enthusiasts talk about Wilt Chamberlain, Michael Jordan, or Charles Barkley, I don't often hear commentators saying things like, well, the fields were soft back then. Now, I get that not just anyone can play professional basketball, while just about any adult can enter a poker game. But bear with me. As we, we as, as a species, as animals, as we move forward in time, we not only gain knowledge, but sports changes. What's acceptable among the players changes. There are rules changes. Players and coaches spend more time with more advanced tools and training techniques. And while there have been vast advances in poker knowledge recently, in part thanks to data generated by computers, there have also been great advances made in all other sports too. Think about what computers have brought to tennis and golf. You can have yourself videotaped swinging a golf club or tennis racket and each and every movement analyzed to know, for example, if your swing needs to be corrected or if your stance could be improved. Now, we all love to think about and see those players that can stand the test of time. Doyle Brunson, Eric Seidel, Phil Helmuth, and Daniel Negreanu making his way, among many others. I think it's important to simply yield recognition to those who conquered whatever sport they played in the era in which they played. What matters most is having bested this sport in your era. It means Given the circumstances surrounding your efforts, 
you did better than anyone else did under the same set of conditions. Now, I'm struggling with all of this on a personal level. I used to be a much better poker player than I currently am. Not only were my results matter better, but I had a better feel for the game. Is it because the tournament fields were smaller? Is it because the players were softer? Or is it because I have been away from poker for a while and now simply need to work on my game and take advantage of the training tools that are available to get back to where I was? I believe all of those things are true, and I'm definitely improving and getting back to where I was as I study and practice more. The difference we have in poker versus many of the other sports we think about is that physical fitness isn't as big a part of it. Poker is more amenable to a wider range of fitness levels than many other sports. Although, being physically and mentally fit in poker will absolutely improve your game. And that's why there's an entire chapter in my recently released poker book dedicated to body and mind. One final note before we close this episode, be sure to talk about mixed poker games among your friends, family, and card room staff. Check out my book, Poker, All the Games, which was released a month ago and can now be found on Amazon. Send people over to this podcast, Poker, All the Games, which can be found on Apple, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, and others. Well, that's all for Episode 6, Stud, 8 or Better. Thank you for listening to Poker, All the Games. Follow me on Twitter at P-O-K-R, All the Games. Subscribe at pokerchannel.substack.com and join us again in two weeks for Episode 7, where we are going to continue the Mixed Games discussion with Super Stud. Thanks to Ricky Snyder for music and sound. Be sure to leave us a review and subscribe to this podcast, Poker, All the Games, so you never miss an episode. Until then, may your hands be huge, your cards fill both high and low, and scoop as many pots as you can. Mm-hmm.